talk to you a little bit today about where we are as a church, next week about 
where we are going. I want to talk about the things that are on my heart, what I feel convicted by the Lord to do this coming year, uh, places we need to move forward. Then on the 19th, I'm going to start a series we're calling Tangled. Tangled is about the things that keep you from becoming all God's called you to be. And uh, the children are leaving. So here they are over here, and they're coming over here too. So they all get to the same place. With the Tangled series, I'm addressing the seven moral failings that have been called the uh, uh, cardinal sins. Seven deadly sins. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. But we're seeing those as the things that trip us up, that make us stumble, that hold us back from being all God's called us to be. I am full of words today, okay? Too much to say. And I'm going to try to focus in on the things that, that uh, are of highest priority as we look at the church of Jesus Christ and where we are. I'm in Revelation chapter 2. There are seven letters here to the churches. I love the seven letters. They are all written to the churches. Let everyone hear what the Spirit says to the churches is after each one of the letters. So you may want to take some homework and read the seven letters. Because they're addressed to the churches, each one of them, and they have an important message for all churches, not just for that specific church. But I want to read the first letter, starting in chapter 2, verse 1, that is written to the church in Ephesus. And the Scripture says here, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So here we have a letter to the church at Ephesus. It is a second letter, as you know, because the book of Ephesians is a letter by Paul written to the church at Ephesus. And now we have John, the aged apostle, who under the inspiration of the Spirit is writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. 
and it begins with some surprising and wonderful affirmations that every church assessing its condition ought to embrace. We are known by God. I know. I know your deeds. It's the word oida, to see, to perceive. I see you. I know. Somebody said, well, in, in uh, uh, the comedy series uh, Seinfeld, they would have somebody say something, they go yada, 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 which means I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And it's the word oida, which is here. And if I tell you, hey, I know all about it, you could go yada, yada, yada. But if God says, I know all about it, that's a thorough, complete knowledge, right? Intimate, comprehensive, God knows. He knows it all. And we ought to be encouraged as well as challenged by the truth that every secret sin, every idle word, Every secret longing of your heart is laid open to God. He knows it all. He says this to all the churches, I know. Now, he is described here as the one who holds the stars, the seven stars in his right hand, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are understood to be the angels or the messengers of these churches. Many people think they are the pastors of these churches, and that makes sense to me. There are possible other possibilities, but that makes sense to me that these are the pastors of the churches. And I believe and have always told young pastors that they are precious to God. And sometimes what God is doing in the life of the pastor surpasses what God is doing in the life of the church even. The churches should acknowledge and pray for their pastors. And I am delighted to know that Jesus holds the pastors in his hand. That's a wonderful place to be. I met a person Friday who said, I thought at one time I was called to the ministry and then I started kind of checking it out and realize that wasn't for me. I said, yeah, you got to have a pretty firm call to become the pastor of a church. It's got to be settled in your mind and in your heart. I don't know how many times I go back to that moment when God said to me, this is your place, this is your call, I want you here. And now for more than 17 years, under the providence of God, as I understood it and you understood it, I have been your pastor. And it's been the joy of my life to serve in this congregation. Not only does Jesus hold the seven stars in his hand, he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Isn't that beautiful? He walks among the seven golden lampstands. Golden lampstands conjure up to me very precious and beautiful pictures, don't you think? And that would depict who the church is to the Lord Jesus, who laid down his life to establish the church. And some of you may be discouraged about the church. 
maybe the church in general, maybe your church in particular, maybe you've worried about the church and wondered if the church wasn't too bruised, beat up, and, and difficult for God to really use. There are times that people get discouraged about the church. Sometimes they come to me and they talk to me about the church, its conditions. Sometimes it's the general church. Church is everywhere. And my life has been the church for all these years. And I know the church is not perfect. In, in fact, the church has many failings. It stumbles. It falls. Somebody said at Passover, it's unleavened bread because Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But at Pentecost, when the church was established, it's leavened bread. And if leaven represents sin, the Passover lamb is sinless, Jesus our Lord, perfect, without blemish. But the church, we're a mess, brothers and sisters. We truly are, and we know it. And it's not like this is recently discovered truth. It's not like nobody ever saw this before, generation upon generation, all the way back to the first generation, have looked at the church and said, there's trouble here. There's sin here. So don't think you've discovered something new. Maybe it's new to you, but it's historically been true that the church has had its failings, its shortcomings, its problems, its troubles, and sometimes they have been severe. Sometimes the church has been more faithful, but never has it been perfect. And yet there are people in every generation who believe that Jesus is Savior, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through them. They believe their personal story is true, that Jesus saved them and forgave their sin. And there is one movement, one body on the planet that is promoting this truth in every corner of the globe, and it's the church of Jesus Christ, and though it is faltering, failing, and sometimes sinful, the church deserves your devotion, your allegiance, and your support. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. That's in the book of Ephesians. That's in the letter to the Ephesians. Jesus loved the church. Maybe he didn't know it like you do. No, that wouldn't be the case, would it? He knows it better than you do. He knows it more intimately and well. When we lose dear saints who go on to be with Jesus, and they have worked in the children's department and the music ministry, and they've taught the scriptures here, they've been faithful in their tithe, Sometimes I wonder, like every pastor does, is there some young woman, is there some young man who's going to step up and say, I will be devoted to the work of Christ through my church. I will give my time, my talent, my life, and my money to see her become her best. It will be my church, not somebody else's church. And I will take ownership of its condition and its work. Will somebody step up and do that? The Lord knows his church. He walks among the candlesticks. He is present in his church, even though his church has shortcomings and failings, just like every individual in it. 
And the scripture says here, not only does the Lord know, but he knows our deeds. I know your deeds. That's what he says. He says it not only to Ephesus, but to every one of the seven churches. I know your deeds, your deeds, your works. Why didn't he say, I know your heart? Why didn't he say, I know your faith? Hey, how about, I know your words? But the repeated refrain of the Spirit to the church is, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. Deeds are important to God. And deeds tell God and everybody what's really going on inside in here. No matter what your mouth says, somebody said, talk is cheap. Right? Somebody else said, your actions speak louder than your words. God forgive us, us minimalists, who reduce the work of the church to words. It's more than words. If words were sufficient, God would not have become man in Jesus. The incarnation was necessary. He didn't just throw the book to the planet. He came himself in blood and bone and flesh to live among us and demonstrate what the gospel means and what God looks like and who he is. The nature and person of God demonstrated in the incarnation. There is work to be done on the planet. There are words to be spoken, but we do not need to disconnect them. God evaluates the church on the basis of what it does. That's not new. At the great white throne, all the dead are raised who are not redeemed. And they're judged according to their works. The proverb says, even a child is known by what he does, whether his work is pure, whether it is right. We learn in the Old Covenant that God is known by his acts as well as by his words, that the mighty acts of God are what they rehearse in the great feasts, the exodus out of Egypt. God is known by what he does just like people are known by what they do. I know your deeds. Now, there is a very personal level at which God knows the deeds of every person in the room. And if I were to assess the condition of the church, I would plead with you and say to you, sister, brother, if you are part of the body of Christ, strive for holiness. Strive to be like your Lord. Do not tolerate sin in your life. If there is a known practice or habit or lifestyle that you understand to be outside of the will of God, you are part of the body of Christ. You set it aside. You put it away. You repent of your personal sin. Your sin that's interior to you and personal to you, you may think it hurts nobody but you, but you are wrong about that. 
It hurts everybody you love. Everybody near you is diminished by your sin. And personal holiness is part of the call of God to the seven churches. Practice holiness. God is holy, you be holy. We don't want unholiness in the church. And at a very personal level, we understand that. So for 2014, resolve in your heart to confess your sin to God and turn from it as a lifestyle on a daily basis. Every step you take as a member of the body of Christ, pray for purity, seek it in your life, pursue it with your life, repent quickly when you know that you're sinning, when you're in the wrong, when God convicts you. Do not live with known sin in your life. It hurts you, the people you love, and it weakens the body of Christ of which you are a part. Unholiness is an affliction in the church of Jesus Christ. It pollutes the work that we do. You come here as a new person seeking to find support for a lifestyle that is foreign at work or at school. People don't live for Jesus there. They're not determined to try to walk this life of loving God and serving others. But that's the walk you have felt called to. Jesus saved you. You want to live that way. You want to walk that way. And you come here to find people who are similarly minded, who want to walk with you on this journey of holiness, being like Christ in your actions, in your deeds, day by day, seeking to support one another in this calling that God has given us to be holy as he is holy. And then you come into the church and discover discover unholiness within the church and someone in the church draws you away do you see how devastating that is do you see how poisonous that is if we abandon the walk of holiness we pollute the life of the church three-year-old Brady got a, a real rebuke from his mama and he said to her you ruined my heart. That doesn't sound much like a three-year-old. I don't know where he got the word ruin. But he told his mama, you ruined my heart. See, that's the danger of the sin you tolerate in your personal life. It ruins the heart. Not just of you, but the people around you. It weakens everybody's legs. It makes you feel strange in the place of prayer. It makes you feel odd opening the Bible. It makes you feel like you're out of place when you walk in the house of worship. The sin that you tolerate in your life, it is poisonous in every dimension. 2014, Lord, help me be holy. Now, you're not going to be perfect, but if you... Repent and receive God's forgiveness as a lifestyle. You can be forgiven and clean and live boldly for the Lord. It's not just, though, personal holiness that these deeds point to. These are the deeds of the church. I know your deeds, church. 
And we have our own personal devotions and goals and things that we do. And we also have things that we do together. And when Jesus says to his church, I know your deeds, he starts mentioning all kinds of things that are part of the deeds of the church in these seven letters. Now, everybody knows who's been here very long that we are seeking to be a church not just of words but of deeds. We want to be mighty in word and deed like Jesus had a reputation there on the road to Emmaus. You don't have heard about Jesus, the prophet mighty in word and in deed who went about doing good and healing everybody that was oppressed of the devil. God was with him. That was Jesus' reputation. Lord, let his church have the same reputation. Let us be mighty in word and in deed. And when I think about the deeds of our church, I am blessed and I am pleased. <laughs> I, I am. I love being part of a church that cares about widows and people in the nursing home. And every week we're going to the nursing homes and we're sharing God's love and sharing his word. And that warms my heart because it happens every single week. Teams of people go to minister. I am blessed because Jesus said, I was in prison and you visited me, and we have teams of people who go to the prisons every week, and that blesses me. That is an activity of the church of Jesus Christ, and we have sought to be active in the prisons. We lock up more people in this state than any other place on the planet that can be documented, and we're going. The scripture says, take care of the stranger, just like the widow. Take care of the stranger, and I'm delighted. There are people here who are committed to feeding those hot meals to folks who have recently arrived from many other places and teaching English to people who don't know our language. That blesses me. I'm grateful that we have seven foster parent families in our church, and we have seen some 50 foster children come through our Sunday school and teaching ministry and, and choir ministry this past year. That blesses me because they are the fatherless that God has called us to love and care for. I'm so glad we've got teams that pack the bags for hungry kids identified by schools in our community. 200 bags, more than that, every week five public schools and we go there and we take them food I prayed and hoped and believed that God would give us a reputation of a church that was mighty indeed as well as word this week I ran into two strangers I'd never seen them before and both of them thanked me for the work of First Baptist Church in this community That's good for the heart. <laughs> That's good for the heart. We're not perfect. We need to do more. But when you've got 100 people every week in the organized, not all of the other stuff. I know many of you do stuff outside of the Care Effect Ministries and the formal programming of the church. But when you have 100 people who are every week investing their time, their energy, and their talent in seeking to bless somebody, 
and follow Jesus in caring for them. God would say, I know your deeds. I know you're working hard. I know you push through adversity and hardship. And we can't look back on the years of our church and say, hey, we've had no adversity. <laughs> that wouldn't be true, would it? We've had adversity. God knows. He knows what we made it through. We sought with great fervor to connect every good deed to the good word of the gospel. We know we're not saved by good deeds. It's by grace we are saved. Through faith. It's not of works. We can't boast about it. But we are his workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. And that's what God has already ordained for us to do. And we want to keep these two, the word and the deed, connected as powerfully as we can in every dimension of our work. And that means that if the ministry in which you are involved is mostly a helping, serving ministry, you've got to find creative ways to proclaim the gospel as you feed the people, as you serve the beans, put the cornbread on the plate, as you pray with them and talk with them. Sharing the gospel is an essential dimension of the helping and compassion ministries of the care effect of First Baptist New Orleans. We don't want to ever be just doing social work. We want it all to be done in the name that is above every name. Amen? So when we went to those 91 houses and we had dedications for the housing project that we did, 91 homes for people in need in our community, when we dedicated and we said, we are here because of Jesus. That's why we're here. We are Jesus' people. We are following him into the hurt and trouble in our community. Now, what I am saying to you right now is an essential dimension of the gospel. It's not something for you to say, well, I'll pass that up. That's not part of what I do. Wrong. Every Christian life has both word and deed, and we're called to speak the word of the gospel and to love people as God has loved us. And in our own lives, we have to keep them connected. If you feel disconnected, if the needy in this community, the sick and the hurting, the prisoner and the poor, if they are invisible to you, you need to fix that as a follower of Jesus. They certainly weren't invisible to Jesus, were they? If the troubled people in this community are invisible to you, get you a new set of eyes. Somebody said, well, where's Jesus in your community? I said, I, I think I know. I can see his footsteps disappearing into the hurt and trouble of this city. And if I follow them, I find the Savior. Bent over somebody laying in the ditch, pouring in oil and wine, binding up his wounds, waiting on me. There is more joy, satisfaction, purpose in this life of sharing and giving than you will ever discover 
in the life of accumulation. This life of giving is where the love flows. I challenge you this year. Do the gospel. Church of Jesus Christ, let's do the gospel. And next week I got a couple things I want to say to you about things that we need to do. We have a voice. We are known by God. We are working hard. And we have a voice. I'm so delighted that there are Bible teachers in this community and I see your faces. <laughs> My brothers and sisters in this crowd right now, there are Bible teachers in this faith community who make the Bible a study of their life. They have professions. They have occupations. They are busy people. But every day they open this book. They are reading the scriptures. They are learning them so they can teach you on Sunday morning. You ought to see some of their Bibles. Maybe you have. They are Bible teachers. We have great Bible teachers at First Baptist New Orleans. God has given us a voice to teach his word. It happens here every Sunday and even throughout the week, people who are sharing God's word. And when we lose somebody like Marilyn or Lawanda that we've lost this last month, I ask myself, is there somebody who's going to step up and learn God's word and make it a study of their life, really put it in their heart and say, I will teach the scriptures to those sixth graders, to those preschoolers, to those adults. And if God is calling you to do that and you thought, you know, I'd love to teach the Bible. Maybe 2014 is the time when you say, I'm going to get into God's word. I'm going to tell the pastor or somebody in the church, I want to start teaching. I want to start observing. I want to become one of those Bible teachers. Because we need a whole new generation of folks who love God's word and will share it with people. There is so much power in the sharing of God's word. God has given us a voice in this community through our Compassion Ministries. You know, I heard this very morning about a meeting they were having in a civic setting here in New Orleans. And somebody said, let's call First Baptist Church. I'll bet they will help us. Hey, that's good. <laughs> All right? There are... Amen. There are places where they don't think about the church when they got a problem in the city or the community. But here in this city, it's happening. People are thinking about First Baptist Church and they're saying, you know, I'll bet they'll help us. They give us a call. They let us know. We can't always help, but often we do. And our heart is there to help had so many folks who have said to us, your, your community work is outstanding. You know, we're not doing this for the applause of men. Lord, help us. That would be transient, wouldn't it? <laughs> that comes and goes. We're not doing it for the thank yous. I heard somebody this week saying, you know, they never say thank you. I don't know if I'm going to do it anymore. If you're doing the work for the thank yous, it's the wrong motive. We love others so that we might have the opportunity to share with them. We love them because God has loved us. He has rescued us from our sin. We remember where we came from. Amen? 
We know who we were. We know what Jesus did for us. He picked us up out of the miry clay, put our feet on the rock to stay. That's what Jesus did for us. That's why we're out there loving somebody else. And it's a blessed and wonderful thing to do. And it's a, a new goal for a new year to say, Lord, use me somewhere. Plug me in. Let me touch somebody's life who's in trouble and in need. Let me share your love with them. Let me be a light this year. We have a voice, and you know what? We have love. This letter turns to the question of love. This church is greatly commended for its hard work, its patience, endurance, perseverance, its doctrinal integrity. This church has a lot to commend it, this church at Ephesus, this letter to Ephesus. But then it has this caveat where the Lord says, you've left your first love. I have this against you. You left your first love. In both word and deed, love is fundamental. Love is the center. It is the moral imperative of the gospel. It is the command we must hear every day. We've got to love. We could speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and if we don't have love, we're just clanging a noisy cymbal. Right, Jeff? It's just a symbol. It's just a gong. It's just making loud noise. I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So what if you're eloquent? Where's your love? Love is what validates the words you speak. You say, well, I'm really busy, though. I'm doing a lot. If I gave my body to the poor and all my goods to feed the poor, give my body to be burned and have not love, I am a big fat zero. It amounts to nothing. Love is fundamental to everything we do. We must stand in it, live in it, recommit ourselves every day to it, and we must begin at home. Love has got to be working in your marriage, with your kids, with your parents, with your dearest friends. Love has to work there. If love's not working in the most intimate relationships of your life, you can't bring it in this house. If it's not working there where God calls you to love, it's not going to work here. Love means that I start. You know, I quoted that text. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for the church. That's in Ephesians chapter 5. You know why Paul brings it up? Because he sees husbands and wives in the church that are not loving like they ought to love one another. He says, husbands, love your wives. How? Like Christ loved the church. Husband, it's a new commitment for you in 2014. You don't love her enough yet, okay? You don't love her enough. Wives, you don't love them enough. Love them like Christ loved the church. There's a standard to which you can aspire all the rest of your married life. Not just reserve for the relationship of marriage, for children, for parents, for neighbors. Let your love be surprising. Let it be deep. Let it be intimate. Let it be real with the people that are near you. Let love be the foundation. If we don't love, we're faking it. 
Yeah. If we don't love, we're faking it. Why would you love? Because God loved you first. How will you love? It's not just a feeling. Love is more motion than emotion. All right? So get yourself in motion. Start loving her with the little things you know that touch her heart, and you just keep doing it. You just love her that way, and you love him that way. You know, you know what they are. You know the things that mean something to her, to those folks around you, to those friends. You love in motion. You don't wait for any emotion. Love is a command. you got to get up and do it. Don't leave your first love. See, if you leave your first love, which is Jesus, all the rest of the loving, it just drops by the wayside. It is on the basis of our love for Christ that everything else we do flows. Love as Christ has loved you. 2014, it's got to be the year when we renewed the love. A love of the Savior, the love of one another, when it deepened and it grew. When we committed ourselves to loving like we never loved before. Not only saying it, but doing it in a brand new way. This is real for you. I know it is. I know sometimes it fades. I know sometimes you wonder. Maybe you wonder even if you've fallen out of love. The word fallen doesn't even work in this. Love itself expressed and put in motion in your life is the new energy and inspiration that you need to get to a new place in the relationships most important to you. Church of Jesus Christ, let's let the love flow. Let's love one another. Let's not be mean. Let's not be cruel. Let's not be angry. Let's not be resentful or jealous or envious of one another. Let's love one another in the body of Christ. Let's care for each other. Let's rally to each other when we are in trouble. And so see the work of Christ flourish in here and all across the body. I went to a store this week, and its name was America's Best. You think they were? <laughs> when I saw the sign, I thought, I wonder if that's just a dream. Or is that just a goal? Or do they really think they are America's best? There are days when I think, you are America's best. <laughs> and I love being part of who you are. But I know it's a goal toward which we strive to be the best we can be, surrendered to our Lord, faithfully loving him, speaking the gospel, living the gospel, doing the gospel. God, help us do it. Bow with me, please. We present ourselves before you, Lord, having received the bread and the cup as family, at the table 
We come before you, Lord, making ourselves available in this new year for all you've called us to do and be. Give us a faith, determination, patience, and love to fully realize all the great opportunities that are ours. God, have your way in us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.